All right. Well, guys, we are in the thick of our fall series. And just to remind you of how our format is working in this series, uh, one week we're going to be talking about a characteristic of our you know, compassionate God. And then the next week we're going to look at how Jesus perfectly imitated his father. And then how we are then to imitate Jesus. And um, hopefully what you're seeing is that as when we imitate Jesus, we are imitating the Father, which that's what we were created to be because we were created in the image of God. We're meant to be imagers of God on this earth. Now the last two weeks we were looking at the forgiveness of our compassionate God. And these next two weeks uh, we're going to be, well this next week we're going to be looking at a whole new unique aspect of who our God is. And we're going to be seeing how our compassionate God is a long-suffering God. Now, I know that that is a word that's not often used in our vocabulary in present day. I honestly don't think I've ever used long-suffering in a sentence with somebody. I would never say like, oh, that Johnny, he's so long-suffering, so long-suffering. I would never say that. And I would highly doubt that any of you guys would either. But in, it is a word that in the Bible is used to describe our God. So we should understand it. And we're going to try to do that today. Now, some people would say that long-suffering is just another word for patience. And while I see what they mean by that, I'm not sure that fully describes the word. Uh, here's the deal. Long-suffering involves patience, but it's more than just patience. Um, others might say, well, long-suffering simply means that God is slow to anger. He's long-suffering, and sometimes even Bible translators will put slow to anger in place of the word long-suffering. And once again, I would agree, it does involve that. Uh, long-suffering most definitely involves being slow to anger, but I think it's more than just that. Um, here's a definition I would use for long-suffering. Long-suffering is patiently enduring lasting offense or hardship. Um, and it means a, a lot like it sounds, suffering for a long time, but doing it patiently and without blowing up and turning to anger. Um, here's a good example of long-suffering. We used to have a yellow lab. Uh, her name was Suka when my kids were really, really young. And uh, my kids loved the dog, but the way that they showed this dog the love is they were brutal on it. I mean, they would tackle it, they would pinch it, they would, you know, grab the ears and everything, and they, they didn't realize it, but they were being kind of mean to the dog, and Suka just put up with it. She just, you know, she'd get up and walk away and get up and walk away and get up and walk away. Well, I remember one time Suka was sound asleep on the living room floor, and uh, she's out cold, and Max came around the corner. Now, Max, when he was a little guy, he was a little terror. And he, he's like, Suka! And he comes, you know, running, barreling in, and he's going to leap on top of her. And Suka wakes up at the last second, sees him coming, lifts up her hind leg, and catches him right in the chest, and went, whoosh! And she launched him in the air, and he went flying back, hit the ground, got up, ran off crying. And I'm like, that a girl, Suka. You, you got him. That was awesome. But that dog was super long-suffering with our children. She never snapped, she never bit them, she never did anything like that, which was impressive. Well, guys, we serve and worship a long-suffering God. In Psalms, it says this, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. Now, there are all sorts of verses in the Old Testament telling us this, and like I said, a lot of translations will translate the word long-suffering either into patience or slow to anger. But in my humble opinion, long-suffering involves both those things, but isn't limited to just those things. And hopefully we can see that today. Now, <clears throat> the question then that should pop into our brains is, 
if the word long-suffering insinuates that someone is suffering for a long time, then how in the world does God suffer? I mean, if he's an all-knowing, all-powerful God, how is it that he suffers? He, he can't suffer, right? I mean, the word long-suffering can't apply to him, and yet the Bible uses it. What does that mean? And I think that's a very good question. We need to talk about that. The first thing I wanna say is that our God is an emotional God, meaning he has emotions. And I know that sometimes it's hard for us to think about. I think we often feel like the only emotions that God has is anger or apathy. We, we either think he's super ticked at something or he just doesn't care. And those are the two emotions that we, we throw on the God. We're like, oh, God, I just feel like God is so angry at me right now. Or we'll say, oh, I just feel like God doesn't even care. It's like he, he's just sitting on his throne in heaven and, and really couldn't gear, you know, give two hoots about me. But the truth is, our God is an emotional God. He feels emotions and he feels them deeply. And I wanna show you this verse in Zephaniah. I love this verse because it gives us a picture of what our God is like and how he does feel emotions. It says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Love that verse. But do you see the emotions in that verse? He's a mighty warrior who saves. I love that picture of God. But look at the next phrase. He will take great delight in you. He delights in you. Do you ever picture our God as a God who delights in something? Well, he is. He delights in you. Uh, it's, it's a lot. Have you ever seen grandparents and grandchildren, how they delight in each other? Like I love my mother-in-law when she comes to Josh and Karina's house and she pulls up in the car, the kids come running out and they're like, Grandma, Grandma, Grandma. They're all excited to see her. And she gets out of the car and she's like, you know, hugging her kids and they're delighting in each other. And that's such a beautiful picture. You know, often with family, we delight in each other like that. Like for instance, in a couple weeks, we're gonna be flying down to Arizona to go, I have to do a wedding for my nephew and, and his, his bride, Caitlin. Uh, and we're gonna spend a few days with my family and I don't get to see my family that often so I'm really looking forward to that. And when I get there, I'm gonna walk in through those doors of my parents' house and I'm gonna get to hug my dad and I'm gonna get to hug my mom and my brother and my sister-in-law and my sister and brother-in-law and my whole family and, and I know the feeling that I'm gonna have. I'm with my family, I'm with the people that I love so much and I delight in that. It makes me happy. Well, guess what? God is like that with us. He delights in us. We make him happy. I was meditating on this verse this last week and it kind of hit me. I felt like God says, Luke, you know, when you spend time with me, just you and me, I truly delight in you. I delight in our time together and that hit me because so often, you know how it is, we often spend our time with God kind of out of duty. We're like, are out of guilt. We're like, well, I better do my quiet time because I won't be a good Christian unless I do that. Have you ever thought about the fact that when you pull away alone with God in prayer and study and meditation, that God himself is like, yes, I love spending time with you. I love spending time with my daughter, with my son. I delight in this time with you. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about that before, but it's true. Our God is an emotional God. He has emotions. 
Look at the other thing it says about God. He will rejoice over you with singing. I love that phrase. Rejoice. Our God is a joyful God. You ever thought about that before? He experiences joy. He rejoices. And he rejoices over us with singing. I remember when my daughter was first born. She was our first, firstborn child. And I remember holding her when she was a baby and I'd be, you know, kind of rocking her like this. And I would, I would sing to her. And I haven't got a terrible voice, but I'd be like, I love you, my little sweetie. I love your little nose and your ears. And I would just sing just little songs. And I'd try to rhyme, but it was terrible. But I would just, I, because I delighted in her, I just wanted to sing to her. And that's what our God is like. He rejoices over us with singing. I'm sure singing is a lot better than mine. But he does. Now think about that. He, he enjoys things. He experiences joy. He experiences peace. He experiences love. He experiences happiness. He experiences emotion. And I know we tend to not look at God that way because he's the self-existent one. He doesn't need anything to exist. He doesn't need anything to make him happy. He doesn't need anything to make him anything. He's God. So we often just portray him as some robot in the sky with no emotion at all. And that's not the case. He has great emotion. You know, when God created the earth and the heavens, it says that when he saw that it was done, he saw that it was good. It's another way of saying that was like he stepped back and went, sweet daddy, that's awesome. He loved what he made. And we're all like that, aren't we? When we make something, when we, you know, kind of out of our little way create something and we step back and we look at it and we go, man, I love that. I made that. It's so cool. I was just at Jim and Tammy's house and Tammy took me out in the backyard and she had made a bunch of things out of, you know, out of wood and tile and everything. And she was showing me what she had made and I knew that she was delighting in what she had done. And God is just like that. I have no doubt that that God looks at a beautiful sunset on a beautiful beach and he experiences joy in it. He has to. It's his creation. And think about it. If we're created in his image, then the fact that we have emotion points to the fact that he does too. Our God experiences deep emotion. Now, having said that, as a heavenly father who delights in us, who rejoices over us with singing, who is so happy to be with us, let me ask you something. I just want you to kind of ponder this for a second. If God is a proud, happy, joyful parent to us, what do you think he feels when we continually sin against him? When we continually choose to follow Satan rather than him? What do you think God feels when we reject his ways and we just do what we want? What do you think he feels when we betray him and we resist him and we ignore him how do you think he feels about that? Do you think he feels emotion? Of course he does. Scripture tells us so. In Genesis 6, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Talk about evil. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. I'm gonna be honest with you, that is a tough verse to read. Seeing all the sinful thoughts, all the sinful deeds, the darkness and the rebellion that had spread over the earth, over mankind, God regretted having made mankind, and it grieved him to his heart. 
In Psalm 78, it says how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and they grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again, they put God to the test and they vexed the Holy One of Israel. Now see that there? They grieved him. Because his children continued to rebel against him, he was grieved. God felt grief. It also says right there that they vexed the Holy One of Israel. Now, that's another word we don't use in our everyday conversations, is it? I'm like, I'm so vexed right now, so vexed. It's ridiculous. I've never said that, okay? But to vex someone is to annoy them, to torment them, to distress them or irritate them. Here's a great example of someone who is vexed. Have you ever been behind someone who is going about five to 10 miles below the speed limit? and you wanna pass so bad because you gotta get somewhere but you just never seem to be able to pass, when you're behind that, how do you feel? Say it with me. Vexed. You're very vexed, okay? In fact, people will get vexed even if you go the speed limit and they're behind you and they wanna pass you. And and coming from my house back and forth, I I try to go the speed limit as much much as I can and cars will get behind me and you can tell they're like, come on. And, And I'm like, dude, I'm going the speed limit. Pass me if you want to. I don't, don't get mad at me. And a lot of times when you're coming down on Golden, Golden Lake Road, there's this little shortcut called Battle Creek, I think it's called, and you can shoot across to DR there, and you know it's kind of a shortcut. And a lot of times when I get to that shortcut, the, gar, the cars behind me that are all upset, they're like, they shoot down that shortcut because they're all ticked off and they're vexed at me. <clears throat> well, when that happens, not all the times, and are there any cops in the room right now? I just want to <laughs> clarify. But a lot of times when they zoom off, all ticked off at me, I will punch my gas pedal to the floor. And, I'm like, and I get to stop sign, I'm like, and I get to that shortcut where they're pulling up, and I just, and the look on their face, they're like, wasn't that the white truck I was just behind? How did, how'd you even do that? And I just act like anything's normal, and it's, it's awesome. But to vex someone is to torment them, to annoy them, irritate them. And picture that. This verse is saying that the children of Israel continue to over and over and over distress and torment God and irritate God. Those are a lot of emotions God is feeling right there. And his children's actions are causing that in his heart. Look at this verse in Isaiah. It says they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. They rebelled and grieved the Holy Spirit of God. I want you to ponder that for a second. Our rebellion and sin grieves God. There's the answer to how God suffers. Our sinfulness and our wickedness causes him to experience suffering. He suffers grief over us and our actions. Just like any parent would suffer if their child did that. Any parent would be grieved with a rebellious child. In Proverbs, it says, a foolish son is a grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. Children in the room, let me tell you something. If you are a foolish, rebellious son or daughter, if you keep rebelling against your father and mother and if you keep pushing the limits and testing them and resisting them and ignoring them and disobeying them, you are deeply grieving them. You are a grief to your father. You are bitterness to your mother. 
They can't rejoice over you. They can't delight in you because your actions are flooding their hearts with grief. And I encourage you children, stop doing that. Obey your parents, honor your parents, respect your parents. And by doing so, you're honoring God and you're allowing your parents to delight over you and rejoice over you. And I would say the same to all of us in regards to God. Let's stop grieving him. Paul says this in Ephesians. He says, and do not, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. What are we supposed to do with all that stuff? Get rid of it. By our actions, we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God like children do with their parents. We're doing it with God, and we need to stop. Now, the point in all of this is to show us how our God is an emotional God. He, he feels emotions deeply, and some of the emotions he feels are not great ones. We can grieve him. We can vex him. We can, we can distress him. And, and I don't know about you, but the rest of you, but I'm going to be honest I'm pretty sure I do that on a daily basis to God. I'm still learning how to live a holy life, but I have so far to go, and I fail miserably, and I find myself so often ignoring his commands and ignoring his guidance, and I find myself living for myself and indulging in my own flesh rather than doing what God wants me to. And, and as I was preparing for this sermon, it kind of hit me emotionally. I'm grieving God. God grieves at my sin. And I don't know, it kind of brought tears to my eyes to know how much I've hurt him. And what's hit me between the eyes is how, how long-suffering my God has been with me. I have grieved him over and over and over again for years. He suffered a long time because of me, and yet he hasn't turned his back on me. He hasn't rejected me. He hasn't killed me. He hasn't destroyed me. And it's hard for me to kind of understand that. It's hard for me to wrap my head around that because I, I don't think I would be like that. If my own flesh and blood continued to reject me and hurt me and rebel against me and grieve me and betray me and irritate me and annoy me over and over and over for decades and years, I'm pretty sure I would eventually come to the point where it says, you know what, I'm done. I, I'm cutting you off. I'm done with you. We're over. I hate to admit that, but I probably would do that. And I've seen so many families do that. But God doesn't, and God hasn't. His long-suffering is beyond amazing. His patience with me has been incredible. His ability to be slow to anger is beyond anything I've ever heard or ever experienced. Our God is a long-suffering God, amen? Now, Here's the danger with God's long-suffering. It would be easy for us to look at the long-suffering of our God as if God is just turning a blind eye to our sin, almost like because he hasn't punished me for it, well, I guess maybe it's okay that I keep doing it. That, unfortunately, is a horrible way to look at the long-suffering of God. We can't look at it that way. In Ecclesiastes, it says, when a crime is not punished quickly, People feel that it's safe to do wrong. Isn't that true? But even though a person sins a hundred times and still lives a long time, I know that those who fear God will be better off. The wicked will not prosper for they don't fear God. Their days will never grow long like the evening shadows. Do not be fooled. Wickedness will not prosper. 
Choosing to ignore and not fear God will not end well. Don't look at the long-suffering of our God as if he doesn't care about your sin. Don't look at the fact that God is patiently being slow to anger with you as a sign that your wickedness doesn't matter. It does matter. Don't be deceived. Sin brings death. There's no getting around that. You... Getting to just sin over and over is not why our compassionate God is long-suffering. That's not the reason. I'll tell you the reason why he's so long-suffering. Here it is. The long-suffering of our compassionate God is for our salvation. It's not that he's turning a blind eye to your sin. It's not that he's giving us more and more time to do whatever we want, to just to do, live lives for ourselves. No, he's given us more time to repent Remember, salvation is deliverance from sin. He's given us more time to be set free from sin. He's patiently waiting and withholding his anger so that we can walk free of sin and enjoy a life of holiness. Look at what it says in Peter. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider... That the long-suffering of our Lord is what? Salvation. Now the context of this verse is the return of our Lord one day. He is coming back, amen? amen? And when he comes back, he's going to pour out his wrath on all the disobedient. That day is coming. In the meantime, we're experiencing the long-suffering of God. And the long-suffering of God is for our salvation. That is why he hasn't come yet. He desires our salvation. He desires us to be set free from sin. He desires us to live in holy, holy lives. So in the meantime, during our compassionate God's long-suffering, don't sit around and sin and pretend he doesn't care. No, instead, be diligent, as it says there, to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. During this time, like it says in Ephesians, get rid of all this junk in our lives. That is what we do while our God is being long-suffering. His long-suffering is meant to be for our salvation. I want to end with this, if I could. Hopefully today you're seeing that our compassionate God deeply cares about us. He feels emotions towards us, deep emotions. He wants to delight over us. He wants to rejoice over us with singing. He loves us with a love that is beyond imaginable. However, our actions affect him. When we sin against him, it hurts him. He grieves. It grieves his heart, and we have to see that. And I hope you grasp how much your actions hurt your Lord. He isn't some emotionless robot in the sky. He grieves over your sinful actions. So don't sit in your prison cell and just pretend he doesn't care. Don't sit in your prison cell and live a life of self-indulgence, telling yourself that he's turning a blind eye to my sin, he doesn't care about my sin, he's ignoring my sin. No, the fact that he hasn't poured out his wrath on this world is because of his long-suffering. He's a patient God, he's slow to anger, and he is all those things for one thing, one reason only, for our salvation so that you and I will step out of our prison cells and experience salvation, experience being set free from sin, experience the abundant life that Jesus came to bring.
This time of God being long-suffering with us, we must, as Peter says, be diligent. Make every effort to be found spotless and blameless. Let's use our time wisely for that purpose. Let's not just live for ourselves and rebel against God. Now, guys, here's the beauty. God has not left us helpless in this. We do not do this on our own human power. He's given us his spirit, the very power of God to live out this life. So let's choose to walk in holiness by the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? Amen. Here's our homework for this week. I want you to evaluate your own life. What sins are you allowing into your life thinking that because God hasn't done anything about them, then you're okay. You can just keep doing them. What sins are those? Take some time to meditate on how these sins, they grieve your heavenly father. I'd encourage you to feel that grief as a parent would. Confess them and receive your compassionate God's forgiveness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit in you, begin to systematically eradicate these things from your life. Like it says in Ephesians, get rid of them. So pour yourself into that homework this week. Let me pray for you. And by the way, I just want to say this before I pray. I have to run to a wedding in Menominee Falls, and i got to get there by one. So after my prayer, I'm going to buzz through the aisle, and I'm just going to wave at you guys. I can't talk. i got to get my suit on and get out of here. So I'm not being rude. i just got to split. So I love you all very, very much. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my Whitestone family. And God, I, I thank you that you are a long-suffering God. God, may, may we understand how much we grieve you when we choose to sin against you. May we see how much it hurts you. And may we not just turn a blind eye to living a life of sin. May we understand that it's not what you want for us. And by the power of your spirit, may we become men and women and boys and girls that choose to get rid of all this junk from our life and choose to be found spotless and blameless. And God, may, may we live lives where you delight over us and you rejoice over us with singing. And I pray that for my entire Whitestone family. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Let it be so. Amen. Amen. You guys are waiting for me to run, right? <laughs>